0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week, we'll dissect the big splash Disney Plus debut of WandaVision.
1: I'm Jeff Braun. I'll review the Netflix sci-fi war movie, Outside the Wire.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to that review. I saw the trailer the other day. I thought, that looks neat. And HBO has fired an albatross with its amazing golf documentary, Tiger. And I'll tell you about the latest foreign invasion sensation on Netflix, Lupin. Marvel Studios' first series has arrived on Disney+. Plus. Yes! WandaVision is an absolute showstopper. The most unique storytelling yet.
1: Are you here
0: to help us? It's taking the Marvel Cinematic Universe places it has never gone before. Well, that's more of an exaggeration. And there's no going back.
1: It's full of surprises.
0: Studios WandaVision. Watch the first two episodes now and new episodes every Friday, exclusively on Disney Plus. So as we discussed last week, WandaVision made its big debut on Disney Plus last week with its first two episodes, and WandaVision is the first of nearly a dozen new shows in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that are coming to Disney Plus. Described as a sequel to Avengers Endgame and a prequel to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, it is a really unique show that blends the style of classic sitcoms, with the MCU, in which super beings Wanda Maximoff and Vision are living this quaint suburban life until they start to suspect something is afoot. The first two episodes, as I mentioned, debuted last Friday, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. The first episode is set in the 1950s, the second the 1960s, and yet their circumstances don't change between the episodes, just the. The timeline, like the clothes, the music, their behavior, that all changes, but they're basically in the same position and we have no idea what is going on. What is happening? Where is this happening? When is this happening? Because Vision, well, he uh, he didn't make it in a previous movie. So is this all in Wanda's head? Is this a Vision from another universe? Is this happening before Avengers in Infinity War? I don't know but I do know I'm super intrigued. Jeff, what did you think?
1: I th- I, I'm i intrigued as well. I mean, what an entrance. I, I like the flex that Marvel is showing here. After dominating the big screen for all these years, WandaVision signals Marvel's move to dominate the small screen by literally... Aping, one of the most popular forms of TV right across the decades. They're like, oh, by the way, we're also the Dick Van Dyke show now, too. How do you like that, everybody? Um, watching the first two episodes, I was filled with the same feelings that often came with Lost, one of my very favorite shows. Not everything is as it seems. There are clues, but what do they mean? All that stuff. Unlike Lost, so Brett, I did not find it so consuming that I went online afterwards for a deep dive of everything. With Lost, it was, you know, an original thing and a very new thing. So that was fun, but it was also kind of mentally exhausting, fun at the time, but once I thought was enough. Also with Marvel, I know all the answers are out there in some fashion, and even without really trying, a lot of them came back at me. Um, I never read you know, these comics, so Catherine Hahn's character, she plays her neighbor, and her character's name didn't mean anything to me, but it means stuff to other people who are really into the comics. The Red Helicopter, the thing with the radio, obviously those are meant to be part of some larger story. But also, unlike Lost, you know, I'm very confident that Marvel will let us know what we need to know, when we need to know it, and I'm content to sit back and let the show dictate all that to me. As experimental as this is, it is still Marvel, and they're going to you know, want to keep as big an audience as they can. So I don't think we have to worry about any real shenanigans like people often accuse Lost of. Obviously, though, something is up. The question immediately becomes, though, how much more of the sitcom stuff will there be before they finally get to what's really happening? I'm glad they burned off two episodes right away because people's patience will wear thin after a few weeks, I think, of that sort of stuff. And honestly, I I thought it was entertaining, but I also thought these episodes could have been 15 minutes long. I don't think we needed full sitcom from the 60s Plots like they had or whatever, but uh, it was fun watching for the cracks and the clues, but I thought it could have been tightened up and it also brought up this larger uh, Disney plus issue in general with me, Brett. When you look at the bottom timeline bar to see how much is left in the show, it's always misleading because the credits are insanely long. There's the regular credits and then a few minutes where they show the credits for all the different voice actors and all the different languages that it's offered in. And this was uh, the same with the Mandalorian. I'm not saying those folks shouldn't be credited, but Episode two said it was 29 minutes long and nearly eight minutes of that was credits, which is 27% of the running time. So then what I have to do, because I live and die by the clock for a living and I'm obsessed with it when I watch TV, is I move the cursor to somewhere near the end to see at what time the credits start so I can do the math of how much time is actually left in the show. And that, of course, is a dangerous game because inevitably I see the thumbnail for the final scene or the final shot, which usually spoils the ending for me (laughs) before I get there, which is ridiculous because it's like a 20-minute show Anyways, and I know I realize this is a personal issue with some deep-seated pathology. I should probably get looked at, but nevertheless, it always irritates me. It always irritates me. Yeah,
0: I I, I hear you there. Like then that actually popped up in the Tiger documentary, part two. The recording was two hours long, so I thought, oh, this is going to be two hours. But yeah, I think it ended at like a, an hour thirty-five, and then it was just twenty-five minutes of HBO previews until whatever the next show that came up uh popped up but yeah i uh i loved loved this show so much i was able to watch the first 3 episodes because disney uh gave us some screener access they gave i got it but i guess you didn't get the uh, email from them so no. i did email them jeff hopefully they'll get you on their list uh, because it was kind of cool i rem- and i did miss out i had screener access for the mandalorian but i missed that email so whoopsie-daisy. The, the only problem with screener stuff is when they give you the, the extra episode. So now the new episode is out this week, but I've already seen it. So I'm essentially waiting two weeks before I see a new one. I do want to first acknowledge, and you you touched on this, I personally know several people who thought this was straight up boring. One guy put on Facebook, I thought this would be interesting. I was wrong. And I get it. There's no action in the first three episodes. As I mentioned, I was able to watch the first three, but there is something at the end of that third episode that does point to the excitement in the episodes to come, and hopefully that is sooner than later. But that's not to say that I wasn't excited just because it was a lack of action. I mean, this is a mystery, first and foremost. That is evident right from the start. I want to know what's happening. But in the meantime... It was so much fun. Like, the sitcom stuff, I feared it would be, like, really cheesy. Sort of like where they were just kind of hamming it up for the sake of it. But I actually thought the writing for the sitcom stuff was brilliant. Like, we've got these two superheroes who are clearly in some sort of a weirdo mystery. And we don't know what's going on. And they don't know what's going on. But in the meantime, they've created actual genuine situations for the situation comedy. The dialogue was amazing. Like, there's a spot where Wanda comes out in a dress, and it's inappropriate for the guests in the home because they got their wires crossed, and Vision says to her, though, that dress is so, so Covian, because she's from Sokovia, right? And I thought, that is clever, and it's a callback, and it's a reminder that, oh yeah, she's Sokovian, because I actually forgot about that. uh, Because she she dropped the accent. Well, she, yeah, she drops the accent in this. <laughs> well, and she's been slowly dropping the accent oh, over several movies, right? When she was, appeared in Age of Ultron, she, the accent was thick, and it just got progressively less so, which I, I guess I shouldn't really have a problem with that, but it just seems silly. But uh, I thought the acting from both Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany has never been better in these characters, and it was cool to see them get to sort of spread their wings with these characters and do... Different things, and and see the way that they like they act different. Well, more so, Wanda. She acts very fifties housewifey in the first episode, and then that starts to relax a little bit in the next episode. So she's almost playing three different characters across the board. Whereas Vision is still the same character in all the, all the episodes because he's an android, and his dialogue is almost Big Bangish in a way, with some of the jokes he made. But uh, yeah, I just, I thought their their performances were so, so good. Catherine Hahn
1: in the supporting cast. I mean, is Catherine Hahn ever bad in anything? Nope, absolutely not. And she's exactly the person, like they brought in the exact right person to do that because she's awesome as the wacky neighbor. And then if there's going to be extra levels to this, I uh, believe it with her too. Yeah, and uh, I know that she is, I saw in an interview that she
0: is not, at all familiar with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. She says she's taking a crash course thanks to her kids. They're sort of helping her through it. But uh, she's excited to be a part of this. And I was excited when I saw she was in the cast because she is great. And uh, I also enjoyed how they threw in their own commercials in the middle of the episodes. And they're always yeah. like, w- there, there was a toaster and By Stark Industries. Stark Industries, yeah. And I think the, I can't remember what the third one was. I don't want to ruin it because they're all like these little Easter eggs. They're all little nods to something yeah. in the, the Marvel Universe. So that's something. I hope they do that in every single episode. But uh, yeah, I just thought that this was well-written, well-acted. I know it's weird, but as you pointed out, Marvel will reveal what they need to reveal when they deem it so, and if you just watch the trailer or even the promos, like there is clearly a lot of stuff where they are acting as Vision and the Scarlet Witch. So that's coming. I just hope it's, you know, soon. But overall,
1: yeah, this is yeah. a great
0: great debut.
1: I think I think the problem that people have is because and it's not really Marvel's fault, right? It's just the the hand they were dealt that it's been what like a, almost a year and a half now since we've had Marvel anything like Spider-Man Far From Home the last thing anyone saw right yeah and that's when's that late summer of 2019 so to go that long without marvel anything and then to come back with what is a very low key you know beginning to this tv show i think that's sort of people are probably expecting more of a big bang of some sort
0: that's a great point that's a great point i forgot we had no more we were supposed to see black widow back in may and who knows when we're going to see that now. So Exactly. All right. But uh, you can feel free to let us know what you thought of WandaVision. You can tweet at us at CouchPotatoes68, or you can email brett at cjob.com, Braun at cjob.com. You betcha. All right. In a moment, I want to tell you about the I referenced that Tiger documentary. I'll get into that a little bit more right after these. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. If you liked that Michael Jordan docuseries, The Last Dance, then I strongly recommend you take a look at Tiger. The problem with conquering the world is that the world is going to want its revenge. He got clean, he got healthy, and he crawls out of that hole... This is the comeback of all
1: comebacks. Do not underestimate Tiger Woods.
0: So this was a two-part documentary from HBO Sports that ran on Crave the last two Sundays, both parts around an hour and a half, as I mentioned. The recording for the second one was two hours, but it was actually just over an hour and a half. And unlike The Last Dance, which was produced by Michael Jordan, and he was heavily featured and, you know, he did tons of interviews for it, Tiger Woods has nothing to do with this. He's not involved. His agent has denounced it. And I can sort of understand why, but also understand not why, because it paints a complicated picture and provides insight into a man whom many people just sort of revered as a god for so many years until... He had his cheating scandal and then he had his DUI and a lot of people wrote him off. And then of course he had his big comeback. So that's what this does. This looks at Tiger's life from the point where he first picked up a golf club, which I think they said he was 10 months old the first time he swung a golf club. And from that point on Earl Woods, his father molded him, forged him into the ultimate golfing weapon. Like you don't have to like golf. To enjoy this documentary, I know a lot of people hate watching golf on TV. They think it's boring, but uh, I like watching golf. And when Tiger Woods is involved, like it, the most tournaments go four days, so it's like this four-day story. Where there's and when Tiger's involved, or when he's sort of catching up behind the leaderboard, it adds so much drama uh, because he had just was so dominant for so long. But then he. He started to have some injuries, and then that whole cheating scandal thing was just ridiculous. And the way that he, the way that he treated women, and what they show in this documentary—like this was about ten years ago already when that cheating stuff happened—and the first one, her name is Rachel Yucatel. She was shamed on television, even by The View. A panel of women were tearing this woman apart. Yeah, she was complicit in being with Tiger Woods while Tiger Woods was married, and she says she feels bad about that. But, you know, Tiger is the one who cheated here. So I did not like that, so that made me sad. But what we learned from this documentary is Tiger Woods did not have a childhood because Earl Woods, his dad, basically would only let him golf like he wanted to play other sports when he was a kid. No, nope, it was just golf. And uh, even to the point where in his college years, his parents sort of got in the way and told him what he could and couldn't do and who he could and couldn't see. And I'm not defending the man's actions. I think the man's actions with that, all that cheating stuff was reprehensible. And I know he had some problems with, uh, you know, painkillers. He was taking all these opioids, these painkillers, and that's what he was driving on and, uh, and like sleeping pills and stuff. But he cleaned himself up, and he appears to have his stuff together, and he made the comeback, and he won the Masters. But I just, I enjoyed it because it it gave me some insight, and I can feel a little bit more empathy for him. Mind you, uh, I have at least... I know at least one woman, like I have a female colleague who watched it and she watched it through a very different lens and she says, I still hate him. I still hate him. We suggested she watch it because she said, I don't really know if I want to watch this because I don't like this guy and she still hates him. So I think that's worth pointing out because, you know, depending on who you are or what your value system is, you might have a different thought process on it. But I think that also speaks to just how good this documentary was because it does make you feel something For him, Whether it's good, bad, ambivalence, or maybe it just provides some extra insight. But just a fascinating uh, three-hour, two-part documentary on arguably the greatest golfer who has ever played the game. Although his son, Charlie, he looks like he could be the second coming. So uh, that's going to be interesting to to watch his career blossom over the next uh, 20 years or so. So check it out. It's available on Crave, on demand, if you're interested. In a moment, we are going to go outside the wire with the Falcon from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We'll explain what that means next. You're listening
1: to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We just heard about Tiger Woods. We're going to hear about a rabbit of sorts in a bit. But first, we're going to talk about The Falcon, a movie called Outside the Wire has been popular on Netflix this week, so I checked it out. Sir, look at the Captain Leo. You must have really messed up if they sent you to Leo. Do you know why you're here? Here because I broke chain of command.
0: Harp, he's not like us. What are you, AI? I'm Gump's AI. I'm a prototype and my existence is classified. But I can't do this alone. I need someone who can think outside the box. That's why you're here. I chose you please tell me what you know in front of him you can trust him
1: these are your informants
0: listen i'm a combat soldier but i feel more than you think i can't do this
1: with eyes on me they put your tracker in your back sometimes you got to get dirty to see any real change welcome to the war kid Outside the Wire stars Anthony Mackie and Damson Idris. I've never seen Idris before, but Mackie, of course, is a well-known actor. He's Sam Wilson, a.k.a. The Falcon in the Marvel superhero movies. He's also one of the three main guys, along with Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the Christmas comedy The Night Before, one of my favorites. And he's appeared in such Oscar-winning films as Million Dollar Baby, The Hurt Locker, and Eight Mile. Here, Mackie plays Leo, an android who's also an army captain in the year 2036. He's stationed in Ukraine, which has fallen into civil war. There are a number of different factions, plus the Russian military at play, everybody claiming to want peace. There are terrorists and a resistance, pretty much everything. And Leo's on a mission, although he may be harboring more secrets than he's letting on. Enter Harp, played by Idris. He's a young soldier who's only ever been a drone pilot from the safety of the pilot trailer, Nevada, but he screws up at the beginning of the movie, so they send him to the front lines as punishment to see what happens in real life when you screw up with a drone. He's assigned to help Leo on his mission, which takes them outside the wire, the wire being the protective fence around the demilitarized zone in which their base is located. They can't dress like soldiers when they're outside the wire because they'll get shot at, But as it turns out, they get shot at a lot anyways, and they meet with the resistance and they're ostensibly looking for a terrorist to uncover his plot and maybe save the world from nuclear disaster. It's sort of like training day with Mackie in the Denzel spot and Idris in the Ethan Hawke spot, but it's also got this sci-fi element because Mackie's an android. There are a lot of questions from Idris about why Leo can think for himself and feel pain and go rogue in certain situations. Seems like a robot wouldn't need any of that because there are actually other robots in this war, real pure robot y looking robots uh, they, that wield machine guns. They're called gumps but it's never explained why. It has to be a Forrest Gump thing, doesn't it? I mean, he was in the army. He was kind of robotic, so maybe that's why they're called Gumps. In addition to the Gumps, the drones, and Mackie, there are a lot of real human soldiers and human bad guys and human innocent bystanders as well. So real lives are at stake, which is good for a movie. I have lamented many times about how I don't really care for watching robots just killing each other because that's just boring to me. Weirdly, though, there aren't as many human bystanders as you would expect. The streets are completely empty most of the time and I get that it's a war zone but it sort of feels like a budget thing getting hundreds of extras would be expensive so they're used pretty sparingly now while this movie does have a few things going for it I actually don't think it's that great the plot is very convoluted I'm not entirely sure I followed it all the way through I I sort of got it enough though that it didn't really bother me but the exposition is plentiful and it's often clunky Uh, it also tries to squeeze in too many ideas I think I mean I stopped giving a crap about the sci-fi philosophy stuff in this movie pretty early on. I, w- I will give the storytelling points for moving quickly, though, and providing a twist or two right when you think you might have everything pegged. I also, I'm a big Mackie fan, so that helped a, a lot. And the action's actually pretty good. So a lot of the the fight scenes are pretty cool. Not great, but just, you know good enough to watch it's a sort of movie that you know would have finished fourth on opening weekend and that i would not recommend spending movie ticket money on but it is a great saturday afternoon netflix watch i would say three couch cushions out of five brett for outside the wire
0: yeah netflix says they're kicking 2021 off with a bang they uh, plan to release a new movie every single week of 2021, and uh, movies uh, they are going to include big stars like Mackie, Leonardo DiCaprio, Sandra Bullock, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, the most electrifying man, Idris Elba, Meryl Streep, Zendaya, Jennifer Lawrence, Ryan Reynolds, Jennifer Garner, Gal Gadot, Dave Bautista, Naomi Watts, Jake Gyllenhaal, your favorite Jake Gyllenhaal, nice. uh, John David Washington, and Octavia Spencer. So yeah, I mean, they've, they've got lots of stuff, but again, these Netflix movies almost inevitably every time disappoint me. Like three couch cushions out of five. Like I wanted yeah. to watch it. I saw the trailer. I thought that looks cool, but it's just going to be like Netflix cool. Whereas, like yeah, Bird Box um, was was okay,
1: but uh, way overhyped. Yeah, I will say the other thing this movie has in its favor is it. Uh, you take out the credits, and it's like an hour forty five. So it doesn't. It's not you know two hours and twenty minutes for no good reason.
0: That's true. The Netflix movies are generally short. How long was that uh, that black and white one? Was it Roma? Was that the name of the movie? The one that was that was the name of the
1: movie. I have no idea. Was it long? I can't even remember. I can't either. And there was that uh, (laughs) the Scorsese one was like three and a half hours. Yeah, was that the Irishman? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, that was pretty good. And I never did watch Roma. And uh, there's that Chris Hemsworth movie Extraction, which was. Good, yeah. not great. And the, I really liked the Ryan Reynolds action movie Six Underground that was directed by Michael Bay. But yeah, uh, for the most part, Netflix movies, I try not to put too much stock in them. Uncut Gems was good too. Uh, but I know that was released theatrically and they had a weird distribution thing in Canada. So, uh, but I'm looking, I might still check it out. You know, like you said, it could be good for a Saturday afternoon or whatever. Yep. Uh, speaking of Netflix, I've noticed on Netflix the last couple of weeks there's a show called Lupin that's been trending in the top 10 as of this recording. It is sitting at number four in Canada. So I finally looked up what it was and saw that it was a heist slash caper kind of show. So that got me excited because I love movies like Ocean's 11 and it's only five episodes. So I took a peek. I'm a janitor
1: at the Louvre. The artwork that I clean, they're worth millions. Next Friday, a foundation will put a necklace up for auction. The necklace belonged to Marie Antoinette. We're gonna steal it. Go in as janitors and come out millionaires. Any questions? While we're risking our asses, what are you doing? Who, me? I'm buying the necklace. All right, here's
0: the thing English is not the language I watched this in. I watched it in its original form because the show is from
1: France. Je suis agent d'entretien. Les œuvres d'art que je nettoie.
0: So sometimes the foreign shows on Netflix default to an English dub, but in my case, it defaulted to French. And I was happy to leave it that way because we've discussed this before. I know subtitles can be annoying, but I find that A, it forces you to pay attention. And B, even if you can't understand the words, the tone, the cadence... it it matches with the body language and dubbed language can mess that up. Plus, hearing that, that English voice, that big, deep voice for this character, I don't think that would... Like, even just watching the trailer, it didn't work for me. I mean, I realized that I had already seen... The series, by the time I watched the trailer, the guy in the show, he has a very gentle, sort of soothing, calm voice. And that matches his body language. But to, to see that same sort of calm, cool body language with that bigger voice just threw me off. So this show is inspired by the adventures of Arsène Lupin, a character created in 1905 by French writer Maurice Leblanc. Lupin was a gentleman thief and master of disguise, and he was featured in many books. In this show, Gentleman Thief, Asante is inspired by Lupin, and he sets out to avenge his father for an injustice inflicted by a wealthy family. Now, as mentioned, five episodes, they're all under an hour, and the show is indeed fun. It's got a 94% rating by the way, on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got mystery. It does have that kind of heist slash caper stuff, but it's subtle. Uh, so it's also got suspense, thrills, and just a super cool, charismatic, and gentlemanly performance from Omar... I'm going to go with C. I'm not sure if it's Omar Sai or Omar C as son, You've likely seen this guy in something. I mean, it turns out he was in X-Men Days of Future Past as a character named Bishop, he was also in Jurassic World. He was in that Bradley Cooper cooking movie Burnt from 2015. Did you ever see
1: that movie? Bradley Cooper cooking movie Burnt? No. Didn't Bradley yeah. Cooper start a cooking TV show? Briefly?
0: Uh, uh no, but he was in a uh the, he I think the, I think oh, the yeah, Burnt yeah. movie was like he had a food truck or something, didn't he? Yeah, or it was, or that was that was John
1: Favreau? John Favreau had a <laughs> Uh, had a food truck. Bradley Cooper wasn't a cookie movie. Burnt. That was. I think that's more like a, like a sad, dramatic kind of movie, not a comedy.
0: Oh yeah, he was the, the he was the chef at a high class, high class Parisian restaurant owned by his mentor until his drug use and temperamental behavior destroyed his career and the restaurant. And in the the aftermath, Adam went into a self imposed exile in New Orleans by shucking a million oysters to sober up, uh, planning to head to London to restart his career and. Attempt to earn a third Michelin star. Okay. A Michelin star. Didn't know that was a thing in cooking. That sounds fun. So, uh, but yeah, this is a fun show. The end to the season was a solid, solid cliffhanger ending. Uh, Really, really enjoyed it. And it does say that part two is coming soon. I think the only real knock I had against this was the main character's sheer obsession with Lupin and the books and how much he talked about it if like if I had to be around that guy all the time I would get annoyed I would just say like dude it's just a book like get over it but of course <laughs> he incorporates Lupin's adventures into his real life and he be- becomes this master thief also worth pointing out I speak French I went to I took French immersion but and I'm no master at it, and uh, I could only understand bits and fe- bits and pieces. I find, like, France-French is way different than French-Canadian. But, yeah, Lupin, it's fun. Five episodes, it's quick. Check it out. And in a moment, oh, my, are we going back to the kingdom of the crystal skull? <laughs> Can't wait to hear what, what we're doing with this. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. Uh, quickly back to our last segment. I looked it up. Kitchen Confidential was the name of Bradley Cooper's sitcom about being a chef. In like 2005, it was on for one season and was quickly canceled. I watched it. It wasn't that bad. Anyways, back in December, just as we finished our regular episodes for 2020, and then we did some end-of-year stuff, Disney had that big day where they announced a ton of things that would be coming out over the next few years. Almost all of the ink went to the Marvel and Star Wars shows, of course. But there were some other interesting things announced that day, namely the confirmation of the next movie in the Indiana Jones series. This ain't gonna be easy Not as easy as it used to be That's a clip from the last indie movie Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull Largely accepted as the worst of the bunch I rewatched it this past week and yeah, it's still not good I hadn't seen it since it came out in theaters in 2008 I mean, my god, it's 13 years ago already And I thought maybe it was a little better than its reputation But no, it's just bad And it's not because of the alien plot. For whatever reason, that took a lot of grief in 2008. People saying, oh, it's ridiculous and too far-fetched as though a bunch of Nazis didn't melt in Raiders or a still-beating heart wasn't pulled from a chest in Doom or a 2,000-year-old man didn't turn up alive and well at the end of The Last Crusade. All that's good, but aliens is too far? Give me a break. No, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is bad for other reasons, many other reasons. Uh, The CGI is not that great. Swinging with the monkeys, that's the step too far, by the way. And Harrison Ford, I'm sorry to say, was too old. He was 65 in that movie and just not believable as an action star. The very physical bits are obviously very obviously stuntmen. Mostly, though, it was just the overall vibe of trying to make it as indie as they could. Every single motion and line feels very choreographed. Instead of coming off as an Indiana Jones movie, that just comes off as a bunch of people pretending that they're in an Indiana Jones movie. And after the movie, my thoughts... After I watched it last week, my thoughts turned to Indiana Jones 5, in which Harrison Ford will be 80 years old, and I just don't understand it. I mean, to be fair, we know little to nothing about this movie still, including whether or not Ford will actually you know, try to keep being an action guy in it, or if he'll have a more subdued role like they can hospitalize him in the first scene and he can solve clues from bed or something. I don't know, but that would of course, you know, pretty much defeat the point of even making an Indiana Jones movie. So Disney did confirm in December that James Mangold will direct Steven Spielberg did the others, of course. And if not for the fourth one, I'd say it's sacrilege for anyone else to uh, try it, but maybe some fresh blood will help. Mangold has quietly racked up a really good resume. He's not, you know, on the Scorsese Tarantino or Coen brothers tier. I don't think, but I, Loved, loved, love Ford vs. Ferrari, a recently rewatched Copland, which holds up nicely in one of Sylvester Stallone's best performances, also rewatched First Blood this week. Not a Mangold movie, but also one of Stallone's best performances. That guy's made a lot of really bad movies, but if he's given the right material, Sly's a pretty good actor. Anyways, Mangold also made Logan, Walk the Line, 310 to Yuma, Girl Interrupted, lots of good movies. He's solid. It sort of makes me feel better about Indie Five, Brett, but honestly, I think they should have just capped it at three. It would have been a perfect trilogy, ranked up there with the Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, whatever. But Hollywood's Hollywood and every one of these trilogies, you know, feels the need to expand and they only end up making worse movies. Right now Indie 5 is scheduled for July 29th, 2022. I can't even possibly imagine what it's going to be like.
0: I hope it's better than Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull How I, it be? I will admit that um, when we reviewed that movie when it first came out, we were both
1: I in particular
0: was bouncing off the walls
1: with excitement. We wanted it to be good so bad. We probably tricked ourselves into thinking it was good.
0: Yeah, and I I think what happened was I was just excited to see an Indiana Jones movie on the big screen because I don't know that I ever had. And so I just took... I was just happy to accept whatever they gave us. And then when I then we did the the review almost immediately, like not the same day, but I think it was the day after we saw it. So I was still riding high and I, I gave it a a good review, but then the second time I watched it, I thought that was not a good movie. And (laughs) uh, like the ending doesn't make any sense. It doesn't bother me. The, the aliens thing doesn't bother me. It just, it, it bothers me because it makes no sense. Like I don't understand what's happening. And it just, the CGI was too much. The CGI really irked me because I remember reading early on in the planning for that movie that they were going to, to do as much practical stuff as they could. And it was like, they did almost no practical effects It was all pretty yeah. much all CG. So that really ticked me off. So I hope they go back to the practical effects for Indiana Jones five. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the couch potatoes. Follow us on Twitter at CouchPotato68. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, and remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.